Well, ladies and gentlemen, here we are again, and we are very, very lucky on this occasion. I'm really looking forward to tonight, Mark. Oh. Actually, I am. So am I. We have um, a wonderful gentleman here, but just before we go on, we just have a little disclaimer that we need to stay at okay. the start of Ooh. this one. Stay at the start. There should be stay mm. at the start, but don't worry, we don't retake anything. So this is just a little disclaimer, uh, because we really want to get, do some interesting stuff here tonight, and it, basically that uh, all information is general and should not be relied upon to make an investment decision. It has been prepared as general information only, without considering individual objectives, financial situation or needs. Please speak to a qualified ad advisor to help you decide whether investing in property is right for you. Now that sounds all very serious, but mm. that's because we're about to introduce a very serious player in the market, Who Mr we Paul got? Brick. Paul Brick, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Mark. Good to be here. And where are you from, Paul? Uh, I'm from Performance Property Advisory. Mm. Uh, we're an investment advisory company um, based in, in Melbourne, uh, but I live here in Ballarat, so I'm a Ballarat local. Um, yes. That's an intriguing thing, living here and um, mm. working with a lot of metropolitan buyers. So that's not an issue space these days, is it, or distance? No, it's not. I mean, um, what we're finding is a lot more people are commuting uh, from Ballarat to Melbourne. It's, it's actually getting closer. Uh, obviously, geographically, it's not. It's the same distance, but in terms of, um, <laughs> in terms of internet uh, speeds, accessibility on, on that end, um, and also, uh, I guess, um, norms in terms of workplace norms and everything, it, it, it is a lot more common to see people working from home one or two days a week and, and working from the office, doing a bit of a commute the other two or three days. Um, so that sort of accessibility is really you know, quite positive for Ballarat, and we're actually seeing a lot of growth um, because of that. Uh, locally here, but uh, but yeah, listen. I mean, my that's not my reason for living here. My reason for living here is that I've lived here pretty much my whole life and went to school here, so it is my hometown. Oh, it's a great reason. I'm probably the only one old enough to remember when it was three and a half hours to get to Melbourne. It was a one lane highway and went through all the hills. I diverge. I diverge. Like I normally do. Tim's looking. Yeah, I was just saying horse and cart, but no. No, no. I was beyond the horse and cart, but I, I can say that it did take a long time. It was pretty scary going through some of those hills when uh, the 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 big semi-trailers as they were then, tried mm. to pass each other, but mm. I actually diverge. I'm sorry. Back. Take it all back. Let's get back, back to on Paul. Topic. So it was Paul, much more interesting. Is a simpler, don't take offence to this explanation, people might have heard the buyer's agent. Is that essentially what you are or do you not quite consider yourself uh, It's part of what we do. Mm -hmm. um, so certainly part of our service is as a, as a buyer's agent. Okay. Um, but uh, but we, we classify ourselves classify ourselves as investment advisors. Okay, so, so it's a bigger picture. Maybe yeah. could you explain what a buyer's agent is or does and then maybe what you do a bit differently? Yeah, of course. So that, if that's okay. Yeah, listen, so a typical buyer's agent um, uh, will work, and I guess yeah, most people have probably seen The Block or, or those types of shows. I was going to mention shows, that, but um, I thought it might be taboo. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. Um, but, I, I mean, I guess what... What they do is, is typically they've, they've been bought out of um, more your, your capital cities. So Melbourne and Sydney, yeah. you'll see a lot more buyers agents. I mean, there's no real local buyers agents here in Ballarat um, just because they're, they're really there um, because of the competition in the markets and it's really hard for people to buy for themselves in Melbourne or Sydney so if that, they're not doing it full So that's time. the people you see bidding at auctions on the block. That, that's they're right. And, and a lot of the time um, yeah, they're buying their, their premium premium home to, to occupy and live in themselves uh, they're, they're, um, they've got uh, you know pretty demanding jobs themselves they haven't mm -hmm. got the time to be going out day after day weekend after weekend searching for property so they employ a buyer's agent to do 
do inspections for them, yep. source the property, um, I guess narrow the list of properties down to a few and then introduce them to those and then help on the negotiation side um, thereafter. So that's that's typically what a, what a buyer's agent um, yep. does on, so that, for an owner-occupier. Are they a little bit like, say, a broker, a mortgage broker, you know, a client goes and says, well, I want to buy a house, I want four beds, I want this area, I want two bathrooms, can you go find me something you've got? And then you'll narrow it down and they'll choose yeah. out of the three or four. That, that, that's want. right. And, and for, for owner-occupiers, that's essentially how it works because owner-occupiers know where they want to live, they want mm-hmm. to know um, the amenities they want to be close to, they know the type of, yeah, as you said, the, the bedrooms, bathrooms, how many car parks, off-street parks it's got, the price yeah. range. So they'll, they'll basically give a list of requirements to a, to a buyer's agent who will then use their relationships and their network of agents to mm-hmm. go and try and source the property. So yeah. you mentioned one thing there, which is obviously time poor, and metropolitan cities more clearly time poor sometimes than what we might be in the country. But what other reasons would a person use a buyer's advocate for apart from just being time poor? Well, getting access sometimes to um, to properties that, that don't hit the market. So there are occasions where uh, buyers agents do have access to um, to certain off market opportunities, which which I get um, and, and a lot of buyers agents do get sent. Yes, uh, because they've because they've dealt with agents um, on on deals in the past. Sometimes agents will call their network of buyers agents and say, "Listen, I might have this property coming up. Would you like to get through it?" And and either early access or potentially exclusive off market access can both happen. Now, a lot of people ask me why would anyone want to sell their property like that? Um, there's actually quite a few reasons. Uh, sometimes it might be a separation where yes. they don't want the, the whole world to know that their property's been put on the market and they just want to do it quietly um, yeah, off market. Yeah. Uh, there's times where, I mean, f- using an example that we've just recently had, um, where we're buying a property for a client. The current owner's been in there for 40 plus years. He's got a lot of stuff in the garage. <laughs> He's downsizing, um, but he needs 12 months to do it. But he also needs the funds early to, to purchase his, his next so home. Circumstances so circumstances are totally different to the, what it the environment. Would be. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So the, the agent knows that we deal predominantly with investors, so which is a perfect fit for them because he can do a rent back. He'll get yeah. settlement funds. He'll be able to go and purchase his next property, but also have the next twelve months to um, organise uh, the garage, do maybe a, a few garage sales or, or something in the meantime <laughs> to to get ready. So I guess there's a lot of reasons that we come across. Um, uh, they're, they're more common than, than people think. They think that maybe it's only one here and there that gets sold off market. I'd probably estimate that 40% of what I buy wouldn't hit the market. Well, that's pretty high numbers. Um, so yes. it's, either, it's either pre-market or, or completely off market. I, so, yeah. I sold one on Saturday off market, Mark. There you, you did. Go, I, 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 you I was aware of that, which was mm. well done. Um, Paul, to go back, so you're an investment, I can't remember the exact term, but an investment person. So the difference between what you do and a typical buyer's agent is what exactly? Well, as, as a company, we're, we're a bit different and we're, we're certainly not alone in this. There mm. are other companies similar to us, but, but we're really geared up to deal with investors. And I guess the, the different needs that investors have over owner-occupiers. Mm-hmm. So, um, so just to start from the very start, our company, we have a, um, a research division 
So we go and look at the 30 most populated cities around Australia uh, and we look at all different types of economic factors, employment rates. I can just get in. Just get in. All my fingers are getting nervous of this typing. Spreadsheets and all sorts of graphs. It's pretty interesting stuff. And we release two reports per region, so basically 60 reports every year so they're updated roughly about six months per region so, so you, Ballarat and Bendigo have did, a report did you say that's the what 30 most 30 most populated cities in Australia so the reason so is Ballarat one of them yes yeah oh, there you go. so um, not, not something we can yeah, use in our yeah, own well, I mean Ballarat's Ballarat's got uh, what about 105 110,000 people now yep. Um, the smallest city that we analyse is down around 40,000 people. Okay. Uh, I think it's Bunbury over in, in WA. So, um, oh, so it goes, it goes yeah. down a bit, a bit smaller. So Ballarat's about, um, yeah, it's, it's, I think, in the top 20. I reckon it must be about 17 mm. in terms of the, the, um, the, the population. So, yeah, so we, we release these reports, um, as I said, per, per region twice per year. Um, and that has all different types of factors. So unemployment, we try and... Um, uh, combine different data sets to actually make sense of it. So rather than just say, this is the median price, this is the vacancy rate, this is the yield, we actually look at, say, price movement versus unemployment rates because and try, we, and look, try and find leading indicators. Well, with respect, those very basic ones you said, most people could do them, but yeah, it's yeah, about they interpreting yeah. that yeah. data. So they're all key metrics. We try and find... Yeah, leading indicators for growth, basically. Yep. So, so that's our, our research um, side of things. And we then have, out of those 30 regions, as a company, we're probably buying in five or six regions. So at the moment, we're buying in Brisbane, um, Adelaide, Ballarat, yep. Bendigo, uh, and a bit in Perth. Okay. So they're the five regions. We've got um, region-specific specialists in each of the areas that know the areas right down to the neighbourhood level and know what types of properties owner-occupiers and tenants are, are looking for. So so that's sort of at the very top is, is most well, pretty much all of our investment decisions are guided by our research. Um, the, the next stage then is our recommendation side of things. So when we meet with a client, we get them to start off and they'll complete a fact find with us. Um, we look at you know, their, their property assets and liabilities, income, expenses and what their goals are. Um, and then we, we either work with their financial advisor and broker to work out what type of budget they've got mm -hmm. um, and then we recommend a safe investment level for them and then based on that we match them to a region so if their budget is say 450 to 500,000 then Ballarat and Bendigo would be a good option Works. for them if their okay. budget is eight or nine hundred thousand, then they might be looking at an asset in Brisbane. If they're looking a bit higher than that, then you know potentially somewhere in, in Perth might fit for them. Okay. So we sort of we, we match a client to a region, um, not only just based on their budget, but also on their appetite um, for for things like if they want to do any development work, any renovation work. Um, they'll have yields, so yields in the regions are higher than capital cities. So if they've got a minimum yield requirement, then you know we factor all of that in. So we make that recommendation and then and then basically from there we do the traditional buyer's agent service, which yep. is we give them access to the local market um, and access that they wouldn't otherwise have. I mean, people just in general are time poor. It doesn't need to be a high net worth, but most people looking at property uh, you know, will, will have a full-time job or have some form of <laughs> serious empl employment, so they don't have time. So, like, on average... I'd be out there inspecting probably 20 to 30 properties a week. Um, 
which gives me, and that's in, in say, Ballarat alone. Um, so, like, I've got a lot more access to the market and know what's mm. coming on than, than your typical buyer would. Um, and then, uh, and as I said, like, you know, potentially for that access to, to some of the off-markets. Um, once, once that's done, we then have a whole due diligence process that we go through um, per property. Just going to ask that. that yeah. You've, you've yeah. just beat my question. question. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like, that sounds like you do a lot of due diligence. Well, but... yeah, we, we do. We do, um, we do quite a bit of due diligence. Uh, so, I mean, I could talk for, for a fair for while. Forever. Um, on that. <laughs> what, a, what about yeah. a few things, maybe just for someone looking, like a few, few Really basic things you look for when you go and inspect a property. Yeah, on so, a pure inspection level. Sure. So it starts. So I, I, what we classify as due diligence probably goes a little bit more in depth than, yep. than say. Oh, I'm sure. Would. Yep. So, so what, like I would start the due diligence phase right from getting to know a, a location and know the pricing. Mm-hmm. So that's that's basically where I'd start from. Is is that people when they're looking to buy a property. First of all, they're going to have their list of requirements. So if they're an owner-occupier, let's say, for example, they want a three-bedroom, two-bathroom home um, with a backyard, with a double garage. So what they should be doing is going out, going online for starters and looking at what those types of properties are selling for mm-hmm. and really get an understanding of the pricing. Go to some open homes, go to auctions if, if properties are being auctioned in their, their area um, and get a really good understanding. Auctions are great because you'll find out how many buyers there are for those types of properties, yep. which, you know, you, you can sort of gauge that from an open for inspection. But at open for inspections, you know, a lot of the people there are probably just people who live in the street and, and that are a bit nosy or driving yep. past. They're not actual buyers. Whereas at an auction, um, you actually see people put their hand up, you know. They're genuine you, buyers. Exactly. Yep. And you can start to find out a lot more about different types of assets, which ones are more popular, which ones had, you know, eight people bidding on them and which ones passed in and had one one bidder. So then that that helps you sort of paint a bit of a picture of pricing, how much competition you're potentially going to be up against um, and to get your budget right. So as I said, that would be the first step that I'd, I'd recommend for any buyers to get their, their pricing right. Um, once they know what they need to spend, it's then they need to go to the bank or to a broker and and basically get a pre-approval and make sure that it's it's possible because it, it you know for whatever reason um, uh, banks may or may not be willing to, to loan them yeah. uh, the if money. If they're not so ready, it's not worth you that, go, getting right. any further, is it? It's so the first think, step. Ab- absolutely. And so as a company, that's the first thing that we do with all clients yeah. is basically if they haven't got a pre-approval, we either tell them to see their bank or broker or, or we'll refer them yeah. because at, I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's you know, waste of time. It's, it's wasting yeah. a lot of time yeah. when they when they know. The other thing that having a pre-approval in place means that they'll be a lot more competitive with their offers. Um, and so that's actually yeah. going to help them out when it comes to that time um, because they'll potentially be able to either bid at auction or they'll be able to put in an offer that doesn't have a finance clause, which which means that it's going to be a lot more competitive um, if, if it's a multi-offer situation. It makes so, a lot of sense, doesn't it? Well, it does make a lot of sense. And it's really interesting to hear, uh, hear the echo of some of the things that you would be saying <laughs> to people all the time, that yes. the reason why you put an offer on paper, the reason why you actually have all of your conditions met is so that your offer is stronger. And sometimes even when we're talking to people, it's about a stronger offer maybe for less money, but if mm. all the conditions are correct, yep. it's a better offer. And, and it's interesting to hear you who are doing that full-time yep. for a living actually well, making it very clear. We had an instance in the office today from the weekend that there was, I think, three or four offers on a property and it was the person who was unconditional. So they'd done all those pre-things right. Paul's yep. talking yep. about. I 
don't remember, but potentially theirs wasn't the highest offer. I don't actually know, rather. So, but because they had no conditions, they got accepted. Well, if you're so, looking at it, especially in, in any times, uh, with, with, if, it's, if it's a time of hardship even in particular, you can take that offer. With the other one, you've got to wait to see if it's really an offer. It's as simple as that, really, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, listen, we, and, and we've been on both both ends of it. We've um, we've had offers go through where we've been unconditional, and we've been up to ten to fifteen thousand dollars lower um, because yep. the, the the higher offer had a building pest inspection clause, had mm. finance clause, <laughs> had, you know, everything else that they wanted to, to get done, which is it fine. It, it, it does lower the risk on on one end, but if you've done all that due diligence up front then you can go in with a clean offer and, and potentially get a, a really good deal done. Um, and what you'll find is is that the the really popular properties, which is the ones that people should be wanting to buy, yes. the, the ones that have eight or nine people bidding on them, that's they're, they're the properties you want to buy because they're in demand. They'll be in demand when it comes time to sell. You don't want to be buying a property where you're the only bidder. A vendor's desperate for a bid, so they're going to take an offer with any condition under the sun. Good point. Um, so the way that we pre- prepare our buyers is basically to to make sure that they're pretty much ready to go unconditional. Um, it means that, yes, you've got to fund a building and pest inspection up front and you've got to have your pre-approval in place and you've got to have the contract reviewed. Mm. Um, but they're all things that's and that's part of what we get paid for is to do yeah. all of that work. So I mean, just a few of the other actual due diligence things are things like we do a dial before we dig check to oh, see yeah. if there's any easements on the property or any services running through it, and especially for a site that we think might have development potential. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, difference. if there's a, mm-hmm. a sewer running right through the middle, then that pretty quickly. So puts dial that in before the you bowl. dig essentially covers. All services? Well, it depends on the region. So in Ballarat, it's pretty good. Uh, yep. Central Highlands Water on board. City Count, Ballarat City Council on board. Yep. Um, uh, you know, you've NBN, got Telstra. NBN, are they? Yeah, NBN, Telstra, Osnet yep. um, uh, Gas um, are on there. So it's, it's pretty yeah, thorough pretty in Ballarat. Um, I, I haven't seen a situation where there's been an easement on title that hasn't shown up yep. on um it's a good on, point. On I've, I've never so, actually heard that one before. I would have never so thought of that. I thought it was just on those catchy ads mm. that you saw on television. Yeah, and obviously, um, you know, so you don't hurt mm. yourself. Mm. It's a free That's service a and it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's really helpful. And any property that we're seriously looking at You'll as part that. of our internal quality assurance mm. checklist, it's mandatory to be done. Yeah. Um, it's, it costs nothing like... In probably about twenty minutes, you get all the reports all that you need. Um, some 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 services I have seen in some areas take a little bit longer than that. But in general, like Ballarat, as I said, I'll do a dive before you dig. If I did one now on a property by the end of this um, podcast, I'd, I'd have the, the yeah. results back. Um, well, I reckon this or, might be a long po- podcast, Mark. But this I, I, is great I, I stuff. Think so, so let's I just, tell you what. Let's I, just leave Paul going. I think. I, yeah. I must admit, sometimes you'll put in a request for one thing, and we, and we we think it's quick if it turns around in twenty four and forty eight mm. hours. So. Yeah. That, that's quite that's quite an insight. Get back that quick. Yeah. yeah. So then other areas. I mean, just as a, um, it's not it's not a, a catch all because you, and this is part of knowing the area as well. So mm. if, if I was to do a dive before you dig on a property in Bendigo, um, Colibin and Water aren't on there, so I would need to just request a copy of the sewer plan there. directly from yep. them. So just those little nuances of knowing the location and knowing <laughs> what you need to do with the due diligence is a big part, and it can be pretty confronting. For, for individual buyers, but um, companies like us are, are sort of set up to, to help um, help along the way. So in terms of, um, before we go and inspect a property, other things we do is we do a check of the quality of the street, the surrounding assets, yep. does it look like there's, you know, um, a high proportion of, of social housing or rentals? So will you do that physically or street uh, view? We, or? we do that 
a mix between Street View, um, also on some uh, property portals that we're subscribed to. So yep. there's one called Price Finder um, where it does show up owner information, not on all properties, but sometimes you, you can use techniques to try and find mm. whether or not it's a, um, a government housing um, property or not. Um, now, listen, I mean, government housing is, is an important, um, you know, housing mm. type. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, from an investment perspective, it, it, does, um, it does mean that, that it can... Uh, decrease the value of surrounding mm. properties and and our job is to basically try and mitigate risk um, and and obviously that's that's risk of decreasing property values um, so one thing that we have to check is to see what what the sort of neighborhood is and, like. and it's not always that obvious so in Ballarat there's a number mm. of pockets of, oh, of, strange. of of housing that fits that bill and some of it's really identifiable you could you mm. just don't even have to get close to it you know it is yeah. but other parts it's not so And it's, so and it's within a suburb. Like, you know, Absolutely. people might say a certain suburb. Two and streets like, well, can make a big difference. Yeah, yeah. yeah massive right. difference. And particularly um, from my point of view, looking after a lot of rentals, what you're going to achieve on, on the rental side is very, very closely impinged upon which those type of things that you're looking impacts at. Impacts the yield, which obviously impacts the, yeah. you know, what the property's mm. going to perform like. Yeah, that, that's right. So, I mean, we've got a... a, a a duty of care to our clients to at least advise them and let them know mm. that there is it is a location where there might be um, public housing nearby um, and if we can try and identify them if they make the decision to proceed now on the flip side some gentrifying areas have shown have been the best growth stories in the last <laughs> yeah. 20 or 30 years yeah. going in those areas yeah. we're fairly heavily yeah. dominated with that that have gentrified some of that housing has been released to the public um, they've either been rebuilt or upgraded and then there's been some really strong price growth I think, I mean, I, I used to work in real estate in Ballarat and in the early 2000s, you could buy a property um, in Wendery West for $40,000, $50,000. I don't see much under $200,000 <laughs> no, in that area. That's so that's right. in 20 years, um, you know, to see 400% growth is yeah. quite impressive. So, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's, not, it's not all um, negative. It can happen if, if there's planning in place to actually start improving those areas. And I think that that's really important. But the importance is that you've let them know if they then decide to take that that on board and go for that probably higher potential yep. but also higher risk yep. you've at least let them know that, that, that's right Paul, Paul is there any big or obvious mistakes you see maybe I would be better answer this question but <laughs> you see general so to speak purchases make uh, so probably probably the main ones um, and because you're right I, I obviously represent the buyers yeah um, mm. so you would probably see more because you, 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 you're probably exposed to, to more the people that yeah, aren't represented. That, that's right. Yep. Um, I think just, just as a general comment, though, um, one of the, the, the biggest catches that you hear of people making is, is probably being impatient. So mm -hmm. they go yeah. in, it's, yeah. it's a bit hard. They've, they might have been to a few opens and they think, oh, I'm, I'm sick of wasting my Saturdays doing this. I'll, I'll just I've missed pull the trigger. missed out on a couple and, and I'm that, that's right. concerned. Yeah. So, so they sort of just pull the trigger a bit early and... and um, and then come to regret it. So maybe maybe they had the they wanted three bedrooms, two bathrooms, double garage, big backyard, but they've compromised and they've said, Oh, instead I can't like everything that's everything that's selling that I guess meets that criteria, I'm getting either outbid or it's too competitive. Maybe I'll just take a block that's been subdivided, that's smaller. It's got three bedrooms, two bathrooms, but no yard. 
all of a sudden, two or three years pass, their kids grow up, and they're like, "Gee, I wish I, I had that I've got yard." Got no room to move, um, and 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 then they're stuck. They either got to upgrade. They've paid the transaction costs when they purchased the property, the stamp duty, and everything. They've bought a below average property that's going to grow in value at a lower rate than, say, a, a parcel of land that that hasn't been subdivided. Yeah. Um, so so they're not. They're not in as strong a position as they could have been if they had just taken a bit more time, maybe seen if there was a way that they could increase their budget to actually get the property that, that met their needs um, and and not make that compromise. And then that property could have lasted them 10 years, not two or three. So, And with property, as we all know, because of the transaction costs, they, they are high on the entry and exit side of things. Um, you really want to be holding property for a minimum of 10 years if possible. So if you can... If you can just be a bit more patient on the buying side, wait a bit longer, rent if you need to until you can get the right asset, but then make sure that you've made that that decision that's that's potentially a 10-year hold. Um, that, and that means that you one. would have been realistically through a whole cycle too by that stage. So Correct. any ups and downs in the market should have levelled out so you've got a decent yeah. capital growth over that period of time. Absolutely. And then any little blips like, I mean, I saw before the election, you know, 12 months ago or so, um, <laughs> people were panicking around that time thinking they, they won't be able to get out of the market. Uh, and then all of a sudden, within two months of, of um, the election happening, mm. things went back to normal. And, and well, that little blip, if, if you if you purchased a property in 2017 and went to sell it in 2027, that little blip around the election last make year any is difference. not going to make any difference no. whatsoever. So you can ride you can ride all of those things out. Um, so the other, just a, a few other not not so much mistakes, but things that the buyers should probably look at. Mm. Um, is looking at, at the days on market um, for a property. So not just looking at, at prices, but also understanding how long a property's been on the market don't for. Don't tell them that, Paul. No, <laughs> these, these are real estate secrets, Paul. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess, so as an example, the, the properties that, that I'm typically buying and competing on in Ballarat, and I, I probably only purchase 40% of the properties that I'd go out to, to, to buy, I'd miss out on, you know, six out of 10 we, we, we don't yep. buy. Um, yeah, and that's a, that's, that's a health check for us to make sure that if we're buying too many, then we're probably paying you're too probably, much. You're probably, yeah, or you're missing something. Yeah. yeah. So the ones that I am, they are competitive, but in Ballarat at the moment, they're, they're not on the market for any longer than 14 days. They're, they're it, sort of, they're, they're on, most of them are sort of between seven to 14 days. They've had one open or two opens. They've had multiple Enough offers. to time to get that interest, but not, yeah, not yeah, just there. Yeah, an interesting point, Paul. So of that, you said you miss out on six out of 10. Mm-hmm. Have you put offers in on all of them? Yeah, that, they're, yeah. they're properties so, that we put offers so in. So to yeah. go back, I suppose, from a buyer's perspective, so Paul's a professional at buying properties, essentially, yeah. Mark, and you think he goes along and he might miss the first six and it's not till the seventh one. So I think when it he takes talks away about that, that, that brings really strongly your impatience. Patience. You're talking about having the patience to, to stay the course, yep. deciding what you want and stick to it. Because I'm Absolutely. not telling buyers I should miss out, don't miss out at six in a row, but it's interesting. As a <laughs> professional, Paul's, you know, it's an investment yep. and he knows what he's looking for and he does whatever he does and he may miss out on six before he buys one. Just yeah. interesting. Very interesting point. Mm. Yeah. So listen, it is. It's it's a competitive market out there, and that's that's just the way it is. And um, so just coming back to that that days on market, the, the the reason that we do miss out on on six out of ten is because the properties that we're buying have other buyers looking at them. Yeah. Um, because and that's exactly the point. And some of our clients get a bit frustrated by missing out. But what we say to them is, listen, th- this will go in your favour 
in 10 years' time or 20 years' time, when you're thinking about selling this asset, you are going to have a similar situation. You'll have multiple offers um, that will be competitive and you'll be able to sell the property in a short time. Because you bought the right property. Because you bought the right one. And because property as a general asset class isn't very liquid. It takes no. it takes you know generally fourteen to twenty eight day campaign to get the offers rolling in to auction it or whatever. Plus then you're going to have another forty five or sixty day settlement period. So yes. at minimum you're looking at three and a half to four months to actually sell out of a property in mm. most cases. You don't want that to extend out any longer than it has to by having a property that sits on the market for three months That's um, a good point. to get that. So what you want is to to make sure that it is something that if you're in a forced sale position, if you have a life event, if you get sick, you know that you've got an asset that's going to be able to be sold, not something where it's going to add extra stress to it, thinking, well, how long is it going to take to sell this? Or potentially have to discount the price um, to to actually get rid of it. So, like, I mean, as an example, the the ones that I'm buying, as I said, are are selling within 14 days. Ballarat's average days on market is 50 days. Mm. So so, so that just shows that there are certainly properties in Ballarat that are sitting on a lot longer. Mm. Um, you know, as I said, that average is out at, at 50 days mm. or thereabouts currently. So what buyers need to understand is basically what makes a property desirable. And the only way they're going to know that is before going in and putting in offers on the first property, go to opens, just track that property, see how long it took to sell, and and then you'll get a bit of an understanding of which properties are desirable and, and try and find the desirable type of property that also meets your criteria and then it'll be a, a good mix because that's probably the difference between owner-occupiers and investment is we can just look at the numbers and say, well, it doesn't matter, you're not going to live here, this property stacks right. up. For an owner-occupier, they've got to get the blend between what meets our criteria plus what's going to make good sense as an investment as well. I don't know, Mark. I think they should just buy the first one they see. What do you think? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm in there too. And, you know, and, and yeah, we won't go. Well, one, one thing, Paul, which I think sort of relates to patients a little bit. So I met Paul probably about a month ago um, selling a residential property. And I think it sort of comes back to the mistakes, I suppose, I see buyers make, is that emotional lack of patience. So we had a deal that, you know, was sort of going along fine. It went a little bit, we had a bit of a hiccup. But because... I'm not emotional because it's not my house and no, that's why that's someone right. employs yep. me. And Paul's not emotional because it's his kind and, you know, he wants to get them the best price. So I want to sell a house. But we managed to keep the deal together and it worked for everyone because there's that separation. It was common sense and thought. And, and we both yep. fully understand how the process works and all those sorts of things. So I think that is the thing that a lot of buyers make is sometimes they get too emotional, yeah, you know, panic and buy something. And other times they actually miss out on a really good deal for silly little simple reasons. Just one, we're getting, I know that I'm conscious that we take a fair bit of time. I think it's good though, Mark. People can just listen to half. We, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's right. Well, probably for me, I'm very interested in, in the fact that you seem to do a lot of work with investors and whether they choose the spots to invest. Or, and I know you mentioned that earlier, or do you really strongly guide them because of their criteria into where they invest? And... And do you work with many owner occupiers, or is it, or am I hearing that it's nearly all investors? There? Yeah. So, so we are property advisors. We do we do advise across the board, um, both for investment and owner occupiers. Uh, the majority of my work, however, is is investment. We're we're predominantly an investment advisory service. Mm-hmm. Our our business, we do have a. Um, a a buyer's agency arm that does um, more of your, your higher end uh, home buying. Residential more, stuff. Yeah. In residential, yep. yeah, but mostly Melbourne, Sydney and, and Perth. Um, 
not so much in say in the regional areas. The, the main reason is is that it's just it's so much more competitive to buy a property in the capital cities yes. than it is, um, say, in the regions. Yes, it is still competitive and people will go through the process of, of missing out, but eventually they'll get one. Um, but in, in the, 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 I guess, in the, the $1.5 million plus dollar range in Melbourne can be, can be quite competitive and, and they yeah. really need to have the, the I guess, the buyer's agent there so but in my arm of the business it really is mostly investment now in terms of how they go about investing um basically they come to us either with a budget or we help them establish that budget through you know talking to other advisors such as their accountant or their um, mortgage broker yeah once we've established that we'll tell them basically the the region that they should be so it'd be a recommendation on the region they should be investing in the type of asset that they should be looking at um, and, and the strategy for that asset. So, so there's there's a number of moving parts. One client might have have four hundred fifty thousand dollar or have a four hundred fifty thousand dollar budget, but the bank will say you need a yield of five percent. Right. So okay. That changes so it. so that changes it. They're not going to go and buy uh, a property on nine hundred square meters with a two bedroom house on it <laughs> because the <laughs> yield's going to be too low for them. Yeah. All right. However, another client might say, "Listen, I've got a four hundred fifty thousand dollar budget." Um, but my income's at such a level that I'm really wanting something that I can add a bit of growth to and manufacture some growth. And so that not, client yeah. will be looking at more the, the larger site. Um, they can sustain a lower yield with the view to potentially subdividing, doing a development. And we've got a number of strategies around um, around that. So, so basically it's matching the property to the right strategy. It's all, um, I, I think my biggest role as a property advisor uh, is mitigating risk. Uh, and, and property, like any investment, is a risky investment. Oh, of course. So the number one thing that I've got to do is say, okay, well, what is the safest way to get you a return on your investment? Um, for some people, it's a sit and forget. Forget about the property, let the rent tick over, have a yield that pretty much pays off the interest component of their loan, uh, well, which, which is pretty low now. So, um, But generally, it's around 45 to 5% in the property. Yeah, so you factor that in as a higher level... Yeah, that, that's right. And then we do a whole cash flow for them so they know on a weekly, monthly, annual basis what, what they're either out of pocket or what they're, um, if it's possibly geared, what, what sort of return they'll get. Um, but uh, so we, we do all the, you know, the, the cash flow side. But as I said, it's really about mitigating the risk, making sure that the right um, client is matched to the right type of property yes. and in the right location um, and, and just make sure that they're fully aware of you know, that it is a long-term strategy with property. Um, these are the certain, you know, on buying this property, this is what's what's expected. So if it needs to have certain works done, a renovation, or they'll know up front that they need to spend twenty or $30,000 potentially on a renovation. They're not going to go and buy the property and then... I think I'm going to get a return straight things. away. Like, yeah, to exactly. get that return, you have to do this. Yeah, yeah. that's a great way of looking at it. Yeah. Paul, I have two questions before we go. The first one is... Why do you like doing what you do? Uh, well, I've been involved with property, as, as I mentioned, since mm. early 2000s. I pretty much did it straight out of high school. I've, I've had a, um, an interest in it my whole life. I invest in property myself as well. Mm. Um, so I guess that's, it, it, it is just an interest, but also um, something that I can see, if done correctly, uh, can actually be a way to either support your income or, or set, set uh, you know, myself up for retirement. Um, mm. And I guess it's something that I understand uh, because I've, I've done it for myself. Mm. Um, and, uh, and it is an enjoyable 
type of role. Uh, I don't like just being stuck in the office, even though um, there are days when I am just sort of uh, doing due diligence office or bound. yeah, exactly doing all, all those sort of nitty gritty jobs. But then there's other days where, as I said, I'm, I'm sort of out inspecting um, the properties and, and you get to see them. So you know, and, and my interest. It, it expands from you know looking at it from the the numbers perspective and that point of view, but also involved you know like getting involved in the the renovation side or the development side as well, um, and, and actually creating, I guess you know new new uh, new things. So you know when <laughs> you get to build a property or, or renovate something, you actually being able to be a bit creative and and come up with creative solutions to a to a problem. So I mean, um, and that's you know with with one of the techniques we use with what we call a highest and best use analysis. Um, yep. You've got to come up with a creative you know I mean? a creative uh, to, sort of solution to an asset. So you look at a, a, an asset, and you know you might be able to keep it as is. You might be able to renovate it. You might be able to renovate it, add one unit, renovate it, add two units, and then you know you can look at physically what's possible, legally what's permissible, but also financially what's feasible and actually come up and say, well, which of those four scenarios is the best scenario for this asset and actually work, you know, work your way through that. So I, I find all of that really interesting, um, uh, yeah, which is why I sort of found myself in this role. In that role. Yeah. This wasn't one of my two questions, so I still don't want to go. <laughs> so this one's on, short. Hang on. This I, one. Have you forgotten how to count, Tim? No, this one's short. <laughs> Ballpark, Paul. How many properties would you purchase for clients a week, month? Yeah, so so on average, I'm purchasing about two to a, to a week. Yeah. So some weeks it'll be one, some weeks it'll be three. Which is um, a fair few. Yeah, oh, absolutely. So mm. um, and so I work across. I'm active in in Ballarat, Bendigo, um, and some some parts of Melbourne. So on the weekend, I, I just purchased a property for a client in Moody Ponds. Um, and I've got two offers in at the moment um, on other properties here in Ballarat. So, you know, we'll see how they go. But mm. um, yeah, but as I said, it's it, it's you know it, it's probably about that. Uh, yeah, that level, yeah, mm. quite a bit. Yeah. Final question, and this is plug time, Paul. If someone's interested, they go, oh wow, that sounds like something. You know, maybe they've they've got their property and they're looking at maybe buying an investment or something like that. How do they get in touch with you, or how do they speak to you? Or yeah, just well, um, performance property. Advisory is the name of the business. Um, uh, what, did you want a, a website? Website, or a phone number? yeah. yeah so that's great these days, yeah. I think. Yeah. So if you go to um, performanceproperty.com.au, um, on the team page, uh, you'll see um, my name there. So they can just call mm-hmm. my mobile's up there and my email address so they can get onto me directly, uh, give me a call. Um, the way you know our, our, our business works is not too dissimilar to, to a real estate agent and it's basically success-based. So, um, you know, we, we, we actually have a lot of conversations that don't lead anywhere. We're, <laughs> we're, we're very happy. Yeah, I mean, we, we, the thing is is that we, we enjoy the industry we work in. We like talking about property. We like giving people advice. We like saving people from making mistakes um, and you know if that takes a phone call and, and we can give out a, a you know a bit of help Good. that's great if it leads to something more then you know we're, we're happy with that too so yeah well Mark I normally we have guests on a, on a little bit but I didn't think I'd learn any, I, I thought I should have learned anything yeah, tonight well, but, yeah, but I have learned a lot I, I think there's a couple of real gems there and I think the thing that it's really noticeable for me just listening in mm. if you're somebody looking at buying property mm. the length to some that someone like Paul goes to. The it's not just a simple thing. You know, like, I really like that. There is actually method and there's science behind everything that you do. Mm. And I think it's great for um, the people who are listening to, because our podcast really is just to give people ideas about real estate if you've got an interest, just like yourself and mm. Tim and myself, mm. we all started there. 
um, just to learn things. And I think today it was fantastic. I reckon we could ask go for a lot longer, but I think we're getting close I, to the longest ever have, podcast. Yeah, here. we will be. But one little thing, because I know oh, you should probably no. listen. Well, Jeff, you know Jeff's still out. Oh, good Jeff, on you, Jeff. But but you high, forgot, high, Jeff. higher than Jeff is oh, um, no. the podcast sort of sold their first house to one of our listeners. Now, that's true. We mm. had one of our loyal listeners who's yep. actually purchased a Get property. in touch, and they said, oh, hey, Tim, I'm you know, listening to the podcast. I thought, oh, well, there's one person. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> we always and, wonder how many And she sent me an email, <laughs> and she's been working with um, Christine from our office for months, and as Paul spoke about before, because we knew her, did an off-market transaction, and she bought a beautiful house in Ballarat. So how's that? It just shows if you listen and learn, there's amazing yep. growth to be had, I think, and yeah, and that's probably not a bad spot to leave it I think it's great. Leave it with Thank you very much, Paul. No, you're it's welcome. Been a pleasure. Paul, it'll be great to get you back at another time because I think we could probably come oh. up with some more questions. Yeah. And well, we really to. appreciate you making your time because we know you're a very busy person. Yep. But until the next time, this is the end of Inside Harcourts. We'll see you then. Bye. Bye.